0: We hope you're encouraged by today's message. All right, good morning. How's everybody? Pretty good? Good to have you here this morning. Glad to be here with you. I, I am excited about the screen. Uh, you know why? Because then we can watch Tom Brady do his magic during football season. We can put it up there and, and it'll be Wonderful. He's not retired. He's back. He's back, baby. (laughs) Hey, real quick, if you have any questions during the message, uh, feel free to text them in. This is the number that you text on. If you hit that number, if you see something, you're like, what's this guy talking about? He's crazy. Or if you have something that you'd like to uh, go deeper in, um, I'll call uh, Chris up and I'll let her take care of that for you. No, Um, It's been a way to be able to communicate and just really, you know, answer some questions that come up that might come up during the message so love to get those from you today if if you would like to uh if you'd like to do that we're in a series called 37 and it's based around this uh study a study that's done by george barna and the study is this that 37 percent of pastors in america today truly live a biblical worldview only 37 percent preach a biblical worldview that is atrocious that is atrocious. We've been talking about that and what that looks like and what the effects of that might be in our society. And we can see why things have shifted in this world because the church has given up her right and has stopped preaching the gospel and walking as God has called us to walk. Now, I want to I uh, give you an R.C. Sproul quote today, and I want to build off of this. Um, and, and here's the reason. Before you start reading that, let me let me tell you a story. Um, I went to lunch with someone this week, someone that I've known for years, someone that's come to this church a number of times—I mean, a, a ton. And uh, as a pastor, I, I assumed that he knew Jesus. And we got deep in this conversation, and, and he was going through some things and some difficulties, and and uh, I asked him the question. In my mind, it started clicking, and I'm going. I don't know if he has a relationship with Jesus and really knows him. I just assume sometimes that because you sit out there, maybe you get a little piece of Jesus. Maybe you put a little Jesus in your pocket when you walk out of here, but, but not necessarily the, the whole gospel of who Jesus is. And this quote caught, uh, caught my eye by a friend this week, and it says this, R.C. Sproul, who is a, a theologian, says, the altar call. The sad abuse is that it gives multitudes of people a false sense of security who think that they're saved because they raise their hand or pray a prayer or walked an aisle. You know what I'm talking about. Come on down and, you know, lay hands on you and you get saved and people fall all over the place and blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's a, it was to those who had made a profession of faith and who believed that because they made a profession of faith that they were saved. Now, everybody who is saved is called to profess their faith. You're supposed to profess your faith. But Jesus warned again and again and again, many will come to me and on that last day say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? Didn't I do that? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That scares the hell out of me. He goes on and he says this. You're not justified by the profession of faith. In other words, just words does not justify you. You're justified by the possession of your faith. And you can't manipulate that. Only the Holy Spirit can convert. Only the Holy Spirit can change your disposition of the souls of the regenerate, that person who is dead in sin and and trespasses. We can't force that. And when we do, we put people in everlasting peril when we give them a false sense of security. L- let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the men and the women that are here today. God, I pray that if, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you, your word says that today is a day of salvation. Then, as the Holy Spirit speaks and illuminates and and reveals who you are jesus that lord we will know you and that we'd have a relationship god speak this morning move me aside and you speak in jesus precious name amen amen 37 we've talked about these the topics that we've hit on thus far purpose and calling family the value of god creation history faith uh, practice, Worldview, Sin and Salvation. If you need to or would like to listen to any of these that you've missed, you can go to the website, you can catch it there, and they're all up there. But this week we're talking about human nature, human nature, who we are. Uh, and In Colossians, there's this key scripture, Colossians 2.8, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, of the world and according to Christ. There's a worldview that is prevalent out there. There are a number of worldviews. In fact, in the last Five weeks, we've given you a different worldview each week that the, that the world is espousing. But the biblical worldview says this. We wanted to take everything at its essence It's this. The biblical worldview, this Bible, Jesus, God, says this. God is at the center. If you missed last week, we talked about that, about being on the throne. God is on the throne and at the center of a biblical worldview. At a secular worldview, in a worldview that's outside of this scripture, man is at the center. Man is at the center. Now, here's the problem with man being at the center, at least in my life. You guys are much more intelligent than me. I can't even figure out a Rubik's Cube. Don't act like you guys are all like masters of the Rubik's. I can't even figure out how to get these things going. How the heck can I figure out how to save my life? How can I deal with the fact that the Bible says it's appointed for every man to die and then stand? That I will stand before the Creator someday, and I can't even get all the colors on one side. It's absolutely absurd. Secular worldview, though, I often, what I do is I place myself on that throne. And I take God off of it. We talked about that last week. This week, I want to talk about secular humanism. There's a distinct difference, and let me tell you. Secular humanism, the belief that humanity, listen to this. Humanity, me, you, are capable of morality and self-fulfillment, Without a belief in God. In other words, morality starts here and it ends here. You are the essence of morality. Morality comes from you. And at the core of secular humanism is self-salvation. It's really nihilism because they believe that nothing happens, that it's just over when you're dead. Hopelessness. Secular humanism, the belief that humanity is capable of morality. Some of you are going, wait wait a second here. That humanity is capable of morality. We're capable of doing good things. But I can guarantee you this. Morality didn't come out of who I am. Now, we talked about expressive individualism last week, and the difference between secular humanism and expressive individualism is this. The belief that humanity is capable of morality. Morality starts here, one says. Expressive individualism says, anybody that challenges me and my beliefs and my individualism is wrong. I oppose that. They both at the center sit a, a, a man as opposed to Jesus, you or me. This worldview, secular humanism, the goal of secular humanism is this, to heal this world and glorify man as the author of his own progressive salvation. That you and I will save ourselves. That at the end of this thing, you and I have the ability to save our own lives. Secular humanism, this is out of the humanist manifesto. We are the animal that knows it will die. Yay. That sounds wonderful. I mean, if, if, if all of this is about that, just knowing that I will die, that's what differentiates me between the animals. What are we doing? If that is true, and I'm you, get out of this building right now and go right over the bar. Come on, don't get all serious on me get out of this building, uh, be gluttonous at the, at the food over there, and, and hit the bar. Because it's hopeless. There's nothing left here. Here's my fear. My fear is this. Secular humanism has seeped and found its way into our churches. That, that what the world preaches, me, 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 humanistic, has kind of somehow found its way into this place where God is preeminent, where he's on the throne, and I am not. Uh, We call that, and we looked at this worldview earlier, syncretism. It's the amalgamation or the tempted amalgamation of religious cultures, and schools of thought. This is a worldview, syncretism, is that that I take a little bit of humans, uh, 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 humanism and I take a little bit of, of, of this worldview and I take a little bit of that worldview and I mix it all together and that's where I land. And what it ends up doing is it becomes this, this mirror of you. All of a sudden you become God and you determine what is true and what is not true. How are we doing, Seth? Oh, there we go. Here's the scary subtlety of secular humanism and the altar call. He, he says this, the sad abuse is that it gives multitude of people, how many people that have run down or raised their hand, the security you think they're saved because they raised their hand or prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle. Now, the, I, I want to be uh, careful here, but I want to give you this quote by Im- Immanuel Kant. And he says this in his Critique of Pure Reason followers of Christ fall prey to the deceitfulness of philosophy of human tradition or be taken captive by forms of humanism based on romantic faith in the possibility of health human self-realization this is a secular humanist who's saying this to christians this is 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 one who is is laying it out for christians and saying like it is but here's what I want you to see, as this seeps into our churches, what does it look like? How does it, how does it manifest in our church? It looks like this, secular humanism. Its goal is man's self-redeemed and very little reference to help from God. It looks like an emotional decision without the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction of sin. What it looks like is this. It is church self-help. You, you know, seven points to a better life. Now, I, I'm all right with that. I want a better life. Five points to a greater marriage. Three points to better children. You know, take your, take your choice. And uh, let me be real clear. I'm all right with that. I'm all right with that preaching even on Sundays. As long as that's not the, what we do every week. Five points to a better life. No, no, no. There's one point to a better life. It's Jesus. That's it. And, and, and when we remove God and, and we bring philosophy and psychology into it, and we go, okay, if you do this, this, and this, anything apart from this word is humanistic and not lasting. Many times it looks like this. I'm struggling in life. I have an emotional encounter with God. Whether it's at church on a Sunday or whether it's at your, at your Bible reading at home or, or whether you go to a men's retreat or a woman's retreat, whatever it is. You have this encounter with God. Maybe you cry, maybe you don't. Maybe you're like broken, maybe you're not. And then we make these promises to God. God, I'll never do this again. Or God, if you'll just get me out of this jam, maybe uh, I'll pray a little more. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, just pull me out of the, out of the storm and I promise you. I'll be a new person, and we make these promises to God, and we run down front, literally or figuratively, and I feel better. That's where they seek. I feel better, and I move on to life, and I'm still on the throne. I'm still on the throne as opposed to Jesus being on the throne. This is what it looks like. It looks like when I was a kid. I got saved at a young age and I went, to, I went to Bible camp every year and I'd run down front and give my heart to Jesus and that's a good thing. But do I really need to give my heart to Jesus every summer? Kind of funny because you guys have never done that. I'm the only bad pastor the Christian. It's a, you know do I knew, really at every meeting do I need to run down the front and and you know lay down and go, oh God So many times it just made me feel better. Let me clarify this: a momentary encounter that makes me feel good is not a relationship. an, An emotional experience that you have is not a relationship. In fact, when we treat God like that, we're 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 treating him like a prostitute. It just makes us feel good for the moment, and then we move on to the next. She would never put up with it. Why do we think God would? Why do we think God does? Look, I don't want to, and I'll be real cautious here, I don't want to discourage or discount encounters with God because I have them every day. You have them every day. But I, I refuse to hang everything that I am on this moment, this encounter. Because it's really about a lifestyle. It's about living with Christ. It's about enc- encountering Him every single day in His Word. It's about encountering Him in, in, in worship. It's about encountering Him in the community of believers. It's about encountering Him when we go to Madison's. I didn't get invited, but when you went to Madison's birthday this week, I don't know why I said that. I'm so sorry. She had this big party. I'm sure she just forgot, but that's all right. When, when they, there was... There was I'm sorry. There was, there was God happening in that place with the people there, with all the men and the women that you invited besides me that, that were there. It was, it was happening. God was right in the middle of it. Jesus right in the middle of it. So I don't want to discount encounters, but it's really about what happens when you walk away from the mountaintop. What happens when you come home? When I came home from the youth camp is when things got dicey. Because there she was again, the girlfriend. There he was again, my buddy that liked to drink and smoke. There they were again, my parents. Oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> Encounters with God are, are, have to happen daily, regularly. It's not a mountaintop experience. The scripture says this. It says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16, 8. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness. What what that scripture says is this. The Holy Spirit opens up blind eyes. It allows you to see. What you didn't see, you now see because of the Holy Spirit. What you've read 15 times that never made any sense to you, all of a sudden is illuminated and makes sense because God pulls the blinders off, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. What didn't make sense about God the last 40 years all of a sudden makes sense because the Holy Spirit takes the blinders off your eyes. And then the Holy Spirit also does this. He softens our hearts. He softens hard hearts. The Holy Spirit takes his heart that for 40 years said, no, I don't want you, God. 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 The Holy Spirit comes. It illuminates. I can see now that God is the creator of heaven and earth and that I can't save my own life and that God is the answer to eternity. And all of a sudden, my heart starts to soften because of the work of the Holy Spirit, not because humanistic, secular humanism that, that says, I am the end all. That says, I can save myself. That says, I can do anything outside of be born and die. The Holy Spirit does it. He says he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit. Why is this so important? Why is it so important? And I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, because I do not want to stand before God someday. The Bible says there's a point for a man to die. I said that and stand judgment. Hebrews I don't want to stand before God and and look him in the eye, and him have told me, you didn't preach the gospel. And when he didn't preach the gospel, there were men and women who didn't hear the gospel. You know why I, I, this is so important to me? Because I was sitting at lunch with this man last week, and and I'm fully, you know, in, in our pri- pride as a Whatever we are, and my pride as a pastor, and thinking that I've pastored people well, and that I, I'm clear, I I, I, I really I walked away brokenhearted, and I literally told this man, I said, okay, I'm sending you scriptures. We're gonna sit down, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna break down the gospel of Jesus. How how do you people walk into a church and then slip out, and their lives are never changed? Because the gospel isn't preached. The Holy Spirit illuminates and opens our eyes, and He, 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 he convicts on sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let, let's look at these real quick. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. He will convict the world concerning sin. The Holy Spirit reveals who we are. The Bible gives us great clarity on man and sin, that the Holy Spirit shows us who we are. The Holy Spirit gives us a picture of what we look like, the depravity of man. And the Bible gives us clarity on man and sin. It says this, in fact, on the depravity of man in Romans 3, 9 through 18. It says this, none is righteous. Hold on right there. It just said no one, not one of you is righteous. Not one understands. No one seeks God all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is a picture of man prior to Jesus the depravity in human nature. See, but the influence of the Holy Spirit in in an unsaved person, someone who doesn't know Jesus in their life, will lead that person to the realization that he is guilty and that God is just and all sinners deserve the judgment. What, what, What did I just say there? The Holy Spirit gives you this revelation of who you really are, apart from Jesus, which is a sinner. I know you don't like that. I don't like that. I think I'm a pretty good guy. I sinned once last week, and that makes me a sinner. Come on. I sinned once last 15 minutes ago. Okay, I sinned just now because I lied, okay? We're, we're always in this wrestling. But the Holy Spirit reveals who I am, which is a sinner. And, and this, you know, this, this is heavy on us because we like, what do you mean I'm a sinner? Let me, let me show you. The nature of human and depravity. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, it's the the is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Titus 1:15 through 16, To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Ecclesiastes, that's supposed to be on the bottom line, sorry. Ecclesiastes 9, 3, Also the heart of the children of man are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go to the dead. Romans 1 says this, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up their debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were foolish. This is a few of of hundreds of scriptures. If if we just are honest with one another, and I I talked about this the last couple weeks, if you were to just Pull back your soul. If you move Jesus out of the way, think about what you were before knowing Jesus. Just, just open your soul and Jesus out of there. What, what, are you, what are your real thoughts? What are your real desires? What is it that people never see that you think about? What is it that you don't always Do but you think about a lot. I I want to I want to I don't do this often, but would someone come up here and confess their deepest desires? Not a chance. I just proved my point. If 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 I had open bike day, deepest desires, everybody's running for that door. I'm running for the door. Why? Because the heart of man, apart from God, is depraved. You want to know why the world's jacked up? Depravity of man, minus Jesus. You want to know why the world is is so, so much hate, there's so much anger, there's so... Depravity of man, fallenness of man. We talked about it last week. Jesus isn't on the throne. We put ourselves on the throne. See, the secular humanists and the Christians alike reject the foundational biblical truth on depravity. Whoa, wait a second, slow down. Christians and human sex, uh, uh, secular humanists both reject many, I'm not saying all, reject this truth. The idea that man by nature is depraved sinner runs contrary to most religions, psychologies, philosophies, views of basic nature of man. It doesn't feel good when I say, you're depraved apart from Jesus. It doesn't feel right when I say you're a sinner. And if I just left it right there, I'd be a secular humanist. There's no hope. Human nature and depravity, the single greatest destructive thought, spoken or unspoken, in human history is this right here. I'm a good person. I I was in this meal with this friend and... uh, I wonder if he's watching today. Um, he doesn't come here, so if he's watching, I hope you're watching. And, uh, and, and as I'm digging and I'm, I'm hearing what he's saying about his life and the, the place he's in, it was, was kind of messy at the time. And uh, I just stopped him in the middle of, of our conversation after being convicted by the Holy Spirit. Um, I said, if you died today... God forbid, if you died today and you stood before Almighty God and he asked you the question, you've heard this a million times, why should I let you in heaven? I said, what would you say? He said, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And, and the reality is, I mean, there's a lot of good people. Relative to whom? What what is what does good look like? It it is completely distorted because there's a madman in Russia that thinks he's doing some good stuff right now. There there are people I mean, there's times that I thought, man, I'm I'm doing really good stuff. And it was the furthest thing from the truth. And, and we go, I'm a good person. That's what and God goes, wait, relative to whom? What's my patent and Relative to Mother Teresa? You're you're a your piece of junk relative to Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, you're pretty good as far as we know. I don't think you have anybody frozen in your freezer that I know of. I'm a good person. And Jesus levels the, the, the playing field. He said, there's no one good, not even one, not one righteous. Let me give you the misconception of depravity. Look, the reality is this. That man is wicked or sinful as he could be. That man is as is that man is as wicked or sinful as could be, um, isn't true. Um, that man is without conscience or any sense of right or wrong. No, I mean there, we do some right things and some wrong. That man does not or cannot do things that seem to be good when viewed in a human perspective. Probably doesn't mean that. That man cannot do things that seem to. Conform outwardly to the law of God. No, the, the, the point is this: there's think you can walk an old lady across the street, you can feed the, the homeless, you can you can do all these social justices, but if it's not done in, in the heart in the, the name of Jesus, why? In other words, it goes back to what we talk about in secular humanists. It doesn't really matter. If there's no end game. If Jesus isn't Jesus and didn't die on the cross for my sins and and, and you and I uh, uh, don't have this relationship that compels me because of his love in my life to do what he's called me to do, then, then what's it all for? Why do any of it? See, it's the Holy Spirit's conviction of my sin that drives me to my face. And it says this, God, have mercy on me. When I I look in the mirror and realize who I really am, a sinner, the Holy Spirit's conviction of my sin puts me in this place of humility. Oh, God, have mercy. I can't save myself. Oh, God, have mercy. I'm not the answer. The Holy Spirit, and when he comes, and the Bible says he came when Jesus left, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning righteousness, You see, because as we said, no one is righteous, not even one. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness by pointing to the only righteous one, Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts me of righteousness when I say, oh, I'm a good guy. And he goes, no, only Jesus is good. And that Jesus that left said, it's good that I leave because I'm sending the Holy Spirit, John 15, 14, 15. He says, it's good that I leave, and that Holy Spirit lives in you and changes you, and you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, then all of a sudden, that righteousness is on you, through you and the Holy Spirit, His righteousness. The only one righteous is Jesus. The only one who is, is Jesus. And when He comes, you will convict the world concerning righteousness, we like to say that I'm good, you know, I'm good, me and Jesus. We got this thing going. Have you ever said, you know, you know, I'd talk to me, ah, me and Jesus have this thing. You ever said that or heard that, you know, we got our thing here. I'm a good person, you know, I help and volunteer. I don't cuss. I don't cuss anymore. I don't cuss any less. I don't drink anymore. Come on, that was, you guys are so serious this morning. Um, I don't cuss. I don't drink. I go to church twice a month, patented twice a month, and I like to tip God. Now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, I'm righteous. But the Holy Spirit stirs up in me and goes, no, no, there's only one righteous. And the only way you walk in that is through his power and the power of the Holy Spirit. What does righteousness have to do, what does our righteousness do with death? If we were the one that righteousness came through, if righteousness was about me, what do we do with death? What do I do? How do I handle death? The question that we, we place to Gandhi or Muhammad or Confucius or, or Buddha, all of them, and none of them claim to be resurrected and claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. Only Jesus said that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I am not the way, of the truth, and life. I am not the end all. And when that day comes, hopefully later than sooner, but who knows, I could walk out of this place today and be hit by a car or... or die of sweat or something. I don't know. But I I could very well walk out of here and something could happen to me. And, And what I've realized is this. I can't save myself. Only one can, Jesus. And it's only because of his righteousness. It's only because Jesus lived a perfect life that he didn't have a single sin, that he lived that perfect life, that he died on the cross, that my sins would be forgiven, that your sins would be forgiven, that you and I can engage in his righteousness and walk out of this place free. No condemnation, no conviction. Every sin, that darkest sin that you're thinking about in your soul, that one that nobody knows about, the one that's hidden, that has never been found out, that one that is sitting just in there that brings angst and pain, every single day the Bible says this, when you confess your sins to Jesus, he is faithful to save you and he's faithful to wash away those sins. Isaiah says he takes your sins and throws them as far as the east as the west and remembers them no more whatever is in your soul, when you come into that relationship with Christ and you fall on your face figuratively, maybe literally, and what happens is this, that you cry out to God and you ask for his son's forgiveness. And when you cry out to the creator of heaven and earth and you ask for forgiveness, he says, the Bible says that he is faithful to forgive. Not one of those men can speak to that because they're all dead. And only one on the third day rose from the dead, Jesus. What does our righteousness do with death? If righteousness is about me and the good works and the things, what do I do when I die? I have nothing to do with it. I can't control it. Only Jesus. Jesus alone is righteous. Jesus alone rose from the dead. Corinthians 5, 21 says this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Holy Spirit points to the righteous one, and it's Jesus. My only hope is Jesus. I say it just about every week, I say this. If I just got up here on a Sunday and after our great worship, just stood right here and just said, Jesus, and then walked out the door, that should be enough. I don't have any other answers. I know I can't work hard enough. I know I can't give enough. I know I can't pray enough. I know I can't go to church enough. I don't have any answers. The simplicity is the beauty is the complexity of the gospel, and the answer is Jesus. And when I stand before God someday, and he says, why do I let you into heaven, John? Because it's definitely not about that huge church you pastored. When he said, come on, stay with me. That's funny stuff. I'm bringing out my good stuff, and you guys aren't laughing. When I stand before God someday, and the creator of heaven and earth asks me why I let you in, I say, nothing but Jesus. And I fall on my face, and I worship. I say, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. It's the only answer. Confucius doesn't have it. Buddha doesn't have it. Muhammad doesn't have it. Secular humanism is a joke and doesn't have it. Only Jesus is the answer. That's all we got to preach. You know why we are encouraging you to do dinners at your house? One answer. What do you think it is? Jesus. From here on out, if I say one answer, you just, just go with Jesus. I'm telling you, you can't go wrong. It's the cheat sheet. Jesus. You know why we're having, asking you to, to engage in, in dinners with others? Because Jesus shows up right in the middle of it. And we're sitting with these two men, these mechanics that, that work on our cars. And, and I, I didn't realize that, I mean, they're, they're full on Jesus saved. And, and we're talking and, and we're having in this, this conversation about life and about Jesus and great things. I'm not righteous. Jesus is. See, the Holy Spirit convicts me of the righteousness of Jesus and it drives me to my face to a place that says, God, have mercy. This position of humility is one that's not very comfortable for us. See, you know why? Because we want to control this thing called life. In fact, we think we're pretty good at it. We love to balance and Shuffle and hold things. But at the end of the day, I have no control over what happens. And the position that God has called me to is a place of humility that says, you are God and I am not. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning judgment. Last one. The world is facing judgment. The Holy Spirit also convicts us of this truth. This is the day of reckoning that is scheduled. It's the day when the holy God will deal justly and and rid his creation of sin. Hebrews 9, as we've been saying throughout the day, and it, it is appointed for every man to die once, and after that comes judgment. All of us will stand before God and give an account to our lives. Judgment has already begun with the enemy. With whom did it begin? Jesus identifies Satan as the one whom judgment fell because the ruler of this world is cast out. Judgment has already started, and then we will stand before God and be judged and give an account. It was on the cross, on the cross, that Jesus redeemed sinners for God and utterly destroyed Satan. It's on the cross that life begins, eternal life. It's that encounter with Jesus and what he did on the cross when he died for our sins some 2,000 years ago that changes the game. Hebrews 2, 14, that by his death, we might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the enemy, the devil. That's the hope. That is hope, Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift. God goes, here you go. You either receive it or you reject it. You receive God's eternal life or you reject it. And when you reject it, you say, no, I'm going to deal with this thing called death on my own. Let me know how that goes for you. Grace is God's unmerited favor. He says, Here's eternal life, and it comes through my son Jesus. Romans, Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. Eternal salvation comes when the Holy Spirit illuminates who Jesus is in your heart, and the moment that he illuminates who Jesus is in your heart, you humble yourself, and you repent, and you say, oh God, have mercy, and I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to pay for my sins, because I I can't. That's the gospel. That's the good news of hope. We have to remember this, you're not justified by some words that you speak, although we're supposed to speak the words that Christ is our Lord and Savior. You're justified by owning it. You're justified by what Christ did on the cross and the relationship that you have with Him. Because the Holy Spirit's conviction of judgment drives me to my face. And the, it, 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 it makes me cry out, Oh God, have mercy. Because I do not want to pay for this, my sins. I don't want to pay for my sins. Secular humanism offers no solution whatsoever to mankind's Desperate condition. Only Jesus does. Only Jesus does. So now what? We encounter Jesus in the cross. We encounter Jesus. Somebody goes, "I'm already a Christian. I've already, I, I encounter Jesus every single day, or I try to encounter Jesus every single day. Encounter Jesus at the cross and fall on my face and worship." and say, thank you, God, that I don't pay the price for the sin that I have lived in. It's the cross where I see more clearly. It's the cross where I see what Jesus did. And that's why communion is so important. As we finish up this morning, I wanna take a moment I want us to receive communion. If you know Jesus your personal Savior, this is a sacred time. There are cups behind. If you don't know Jesus, again, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to know that you have eternal life today, the Bible says, as I... Mentioned early in Romans 10.9 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. As we're getting ready to receive the elements, I want us to examine our lives. I want you to just take a moment. Take a moment and just look at your heart. Examine your heart And see maybe what God might be saying to you. For some of us, we need to just repent. Oh God, forgive me. For some of us, it's a heart of thankfulness. Oh God, thank you for your everlasting grace. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for hope. But take a moment. And acknowledge. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus betrayed, he took the bread, and he took the wine, and he says, when you come together as a body, he said, receive this in remembrance of me. And he took the bread, and they ate it. And it says that he took the wine that represented his blood. He says, when when you come together as a family of believers, remember what my blood did, washing away your sins. Remember what the cross means in your life, that you might have everlasting life. Remember that, that, that there's no more condemnation. There's no more guilt. There's no more weights that you walk around with because of what I did on the cross. You don't have to walk around in condemnation. What you did 10 years ago and you repented for is gone. What you did last week and repented for is gone. You don't have to walk under that, but you walk in the freedom of my blood and what it means. And he said, when you drink this, remember that walk out in the freedom of Christ Jesus. And they took the wine and they drank. Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you for the everlasting life that came through the cross some 2,000 years ago. God, that we might have life God, that we can celebrate. Father, I thank you for this opportunity this morning. Lord, let us be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let us bring hope to the hopeless. Let us be a light in the midst of darkness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. And before we go into this last song of worship, we got some questions. We're going to roll through the questions so since by our human nature we are depraved but once we come to christ we are a new creation do we call ourselves now righteous and pure or do we say we are still sinners great question when you come into relationship with jesus romans 7 and 8 talks about this specifically that, that when you ex- ask Jesus to come into your heart and and pay the price for your sins, when God sees you now, He sees you through the blood of Jesus, which is righteous. When I say that, and I talk about um, human nature and depravity, it, 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 what I'm saying is this, remember what you were before Christ. I, I, I don't like to not look in the mirror and realize that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in me, apart from the redeemed nature that God has placed, what God is doing in my heart and in my soul, apart from that, I know what I am. And here's the beauty of the gospel and salvation. What I deserve is hell. What God gives me is eternal life. Not because of anything I've ever done, but because his son bridges the gap. So, yes, you're right. I'm a new creation in Christ. I am righteous before God Almighty. But I don't ever want to forget what I am apart from Jesus. And the moment that I step onto the throne and move Jesus off the throne, I'm acting like that old man. But yes, we are righteous before God. Is that it? Wow, only one, that's good. All right, well, why don't, I'm gonna pray, that why don't you guys stand with us and we're gonna go out with this, this last song. Father, I thank you again for this time this morning, Lord, for your word, Lord, let it sit in our soul and God, let us be the light that you've called us to. In Jesus' precious name, amen.